Let's turn to God's Word, and we are in the book of Hebrews. Um, if you haven't been with us before, we are studying the book of Hebrews together, um, and we've done the first four verses as much as we can do on a Sunday morning anyway, and we're now going to do the rest of chapter 1, and um, I want you to read with me. I'm going to read chapter 1 with, with you um, as you follow in your texts. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he had inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions and... You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So tell me, do you believe in angels? Put up your hands. Do you believe in angels? Well, you should. The Bible refers to angels 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament. So tell me, if an angel appeared to you, would you listen to the angel? I would. Would you be tempted to worship the angel? Well, who knows what I'd do, because they're really bright and shining and fearful things. Would you trust the word of an visible angel more than you would trust the invisible Jesus? That's what he's coming down to. Now, my guess is that this past week, Hopefully, none of you have been worshipping angels. But my guess is that maybe a great many of us all have underestimated or undervalued Jesus and have been tempted to think that Jesus is not enough and that I want a little bit more. And the sentence would go like this in your head. Life would be just right if only I had you fill in the blank. Or maybe we think that Jesus and the promises that he brings 
just haven't panned out for us. Things haven't kind of lived out for me as I, as I wish they had, according to the promises of Jesus. And we're going to need something else, something different to bring me satisfaction, to give me hope, to give me joy and fulfillment in life. Have you been tempted to ever think like that? So the question we're drilling down to this morning is, is Jesus enough for you? That's what the writer of Hebrews was saying to this Jewish church gathered together. Is Jesus Christ enough for you? If Jesus is all you left with in life, is He enough? Or is there something else or someone else out there who's better or superior or more excellent than, than them? And there's a sense in which this passage is a one-point sermon. And it's this. Jesus is enough. Jesus is superior. Jesus is excellent. And how we need to hear that today, because we are distracted from Christ by all kinds of things. So Jesus is saying to his Hebrew hearers, don't underestimate Jesus because there's, because there's nothing that compares with Jesus. Not even Michael the archangel, nor even Gabriel, not even all the angels combined, none of them compared to Jesus. So why is he harping on about angels? No pun intended there. Why, why this comparison with angels to the Hebrews? Well, it's because this mainly Hebrew congregation was tempted to think that angels, or at least some of them, may be superior to Christ. Why? Because Judaism at that time and the Talmud taught about the importance of angels. And it didn't help that the rabbis then got in discussions about these things and brought even more points to bear about angels. And so the Talmud, which was meant to be a good commentary on the Bible, it was meant to be the Jewish laws derived from the Torah or the five books of Moses. But it became a discussion of other things surrounding the core of the faith. So we need to know a little bit about what the Talmud taught. Old Testament truth plus a little bit of embellishment. Right. I'm going to quickly go through these. There's no time to stand still on them. So it's all about angels now. Angels were very important to the Old Covenant, according to the Talmud, because the Old Covenant was brought to Jews by angels sent from God. Angels were therefore mediators of this covenant with God, and they became the intermediaries between God and people. And therefore God's blessing was also ministered through angels. You might even pick that up in our papers sometime. The blessing you can receive from angels. No, God gives blessing. Angels are his messengers. All right, I, I can't correct all of this. Talmud. The second thing it said, uh, and these are just a few of the points, that angels acted as God's senate or council, and that God did nothing without consulting the angels. Where did they get that from? They take Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that little word, us, where God says, let us make man in our image. It's God speaking to the angels. No. It's the Trinity speaking to each other. Let us make man in our image. Do you see the change happening? Here's another one. A group of angels objected to the creation of man and were immediately annihilated by God. No. Quite a host of angels fell with Satan when they 
when they rebelled against God, but they weren't annihilated, what happened to them? They got put into prison, captivity, until the end time, or they became demonic spirits, working with Satan. And it also says that other, other angels objected to the giving of the law, and they attacked Moses on his way up Mount Sinai. I don't know where they get that from. Here's something else. Teaches that 200 angels control the movements of the stars. And one special calendar angel controls the never-ending succession of days, weeks, and months, and years. Another mighty angel takes care of the seas. There's an angel of death. There's a guardian angel for every nation and every child. Now we know that it speak, the Bible speaks about a guardian angel for that comes to the aid of children sometimes. That's because God sends them. But they also taught that there's so many angels that every blade of grass has its own angel. Now can you see the rabbis talking across a cup of coffee and coming up with a lot of this stuff? Alright, so that was something that the Talmud taught. Two more points. Some of the Jews, as a result of, of this um, teaching, and also of, as a result of the Gnostics, now there's all kinds of history here. Now the Gnostics, spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. The Gnostics were a group of people who came about um, and they started reducing the importance of Christ compared to other things. They brought Christ down and the angels up in importance. So these people started to come under their influence and they started to waver in their belief. And then in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, found at Qumran, um, the Essenes wrote that there were two messianic figures, a king and a priest, but both those messianic figures were subjected to Michael the archangel in the world to come. So these are some of the things that the Talmud were teaching, and it was influencing the minds of these Jewish believers. So what does Scripture teach? And we need to know what's right so that we can recognize what's wrong. Now, I don't know how much you know about angels in the Bible, but here's a quick rundown. You might find some of these really interesting. Thank you, John MacArthur, for your research. So here's your Angelology 101. Angels are spirit beings. They have bodies, but no flesh and bones. They're capable of appearing in human form and making themselves visible to people. And so they appear to the shepherds, to Mary, to Joseph, even in dreams. Angels also appear in other forms. The angel that rolled away the stone from Christ's tomb, it says that he appeared like lightning. Majestic. Daniel speaks about the appearance like lightning in the Old Testament of an angel. Angels are highly intelligent, but they're not omniscient. What does that mean? They don't know everything. They're highly intelligent. Who knows everything? Only God does. And angels have emotions. They rejoice when sinners are saved, says Luke 15. They speak to people. Many examples of that. And they long to understand the full picture of salvation. Angels long to understand everything that's happening to mankind and through Jesus Christ. They don't know the full picture yet. They're longing to see. Here's some more interesting facts. Angels don't marry and they're unable to procreate. Yes, you're saying to me the sons of... There is a passage, we can explain that. They can't procreate. 
Angels were created simultaneously by an act of God. Colossians 1:16 to 17 gives us that indication. God didn't make angels then more and more and more. He created them as part of the creation at the beginning, before man. And each angel is, has a unique identity and doesn't speak about God making any more angels. Right? Another thing, angels don't die. They can't be annihilated. A third fell with Satan. They exist as demonic spirits. They're held captive awaiting judgment. Each angel is a direct personal creation of God and that angel stands in a personal relationship to his creator. They're not impersonal beings. They are beings who stand in authority under God and accountable to Angels were all created before mankind. Mankind was the pinnacle of God's creation. If you look at the creation account. And therefore they are countless ages older than people. We don't know when God made them. How many angels are there? Well, scripture indicates that there are a vast number. Sorry, it's all I can say. Daniel says in his vision he saw thousands upon thousands and myriads upon myriads. That's the biggest they could express in numerical terms. Of angels standing before God and attending to him. Daniel 17. And then John in the book of Revelation which we've looked at. Speaks of a vast heavenly multitude comprised of believers and angels. Comprising myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. There's that phrase again. Countless number. So there are many angels. Unfallen angels, those who haven't fallen, who serve God, are spread all over the heavens, serving the Lord with whatever they do. Mark chapter 13, 32 speaks about that. Angels are highly organized and they're divided into ranks. So we've already heard about the archangel. There were cherubim, seraphim, and the living creatures around the throne. Those are specific angel types. That doesn't describe all of them though. Michael is the archangel. He is the one in charge of the angels. And then we read of other specific angels. Gabriel, who's named. Now, angels are much more powerful than people. So when we have little write-ups in the paper about, listen to your angel. Angels are very powerful beings. How do we know that? Well, if you go to 2 Kings 19, you can see the work of an angel in one night. He killed 185,000 Assyrians, one angel. And so we need the Lord's power when we deal with fallen angels because they are powerful angels. Still, they're evil. And when we deal with Satan, he is a fallen angel. So you can't come up against him and say, come and do your best, bro. Angels can move and act with incredible speed, but they're not omnipresent. Angels can't be everywhere all at the same time. Only God is omnipresent. Right? Your theology being, um, what's the word? Stimulated a little bit. Only the Lord is omnipresent, not Satan either. Satan can only be at one place at one time. And then we see in Scripture that angels worship God and are accountable to, do, to Him to do His bidding. So that's a quick course on angelology. 
So is this sermon all about angels? No, it's not actually. We're getting to our main point. It's all about Christ. See, why does the writer to the Hebrews focus in on these angels? Yes, they are amazing creations. He's not, to use a colloquial term in Wanganui, he's not dissing angels. He's not speaking down angels. He's saying they are amazing creatures, but there's one who's more supreme. And this is a, a, a technique used by the rabbis. It's called the lesser to the greater argument. You first describe the lesser in great terms, and then you say there's something far greater. For example, here you see a chihuahua's footprint on the ground. You know what a chihuahua is? It's not a real dog. It's like a rat. Okay, but anyway, it's a dog. And it's got a little footprint like this. So if you see this footprint on the ground, you know that's a chihuahua, right? It's an amazing creature. However, when you see this footprint, it's no longer this thing. It's far greater. And the implication is when something is bigger, it's far more supreme. This is a lion print. It's no chihuahua. So that's the technique that they use and that he uses here with the angel argument. So, Christ is far more excellent than angels, verses 4 to 14. That's what that Hebrew Old Testament is all about there. He says, let me just demonstrate to you from the Old Testament scriptures that God was saying Christ is much more important than angels. And he's basing it on the Torah, on the Jewish Old Testament. Books of Moses. He's saying, Christ is far more excellent than angels. Let me show you from the Torah. And so he goes to, and if you follow with me now, you're going to have to stick with us here. Verse uh, Hebrews 1.5. He quotes there Psalm 2 verse 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. What's God saying about the Messiah there? He's saying he is the only begotten Son. He is the Messiah, God's only Son, the unique Son, the perfect delegate God was going to send to this earth. He's no angel. To which of the angels did God say, you are my only Son? None. You see what he's doing? Hebrews 1.5, he quotes, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 2 Samuel 7 verse 14 is what he's quoting. And here he's speaking about God incarnate. Jesus who became God in the flesh. God is his Father. He is the Son. You see, before this, God, was, God the, the Son was the second person of the Trinity. He hadn't yet become Jesus, the Messiah. It was only when he was born of Mary, God's work on Mary, that he became God incarnate. The Son. Do you see what he's speaking about here? It's a prediction. To which of the angels did God say, you are to be my son? None. Hebrews 1.6 reflects, he quotes Psalm 97 verse 7. And when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. What's he talking about here? He's speaking here about Christ the mediator, not the angels. Christ is the mediator. Jesus is to be worshipped by angels, says this verse. It's not the other way around. They are already worshipping God. 
the angels were already worshipping the second person of the Trinity before he became God incarnate, before he became Son of Man. Do you get that? They were already worshipping him. Now he's saying, when the Messiah is born, the angels are to worship him as the, the God-man too. And they're not finished worshipping. When he returns, the angels will worship him too as the revealed Son of God when they fully understand everything with us. Where do I find that? Let's have a look at Revelation 5.11. I want you to turn there with me. We've done this before, but I'm sure you can't remember it off by heart. So, Revelation 5, verse 11 to 12. Then I, looked and I heard, and then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So what's this got to do with worshipping the sun? I want to read this little extract to you because I think it just sums it up beautifully. The author writes, Here is angelic worship. Christ is getting ready to come again and to take to the earth, to take the earth for himself. The Father is pictured with a title deed to the earth, the little scroll, and those around the throne are saying, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And John is actually crying because there's no one to open the seal. And then suddenly one of the elders says, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And then Jesus Christ, the lamb, steps forward and he takes the scroll. And as he's about to unroll the judgment and take possession of the earth, the angels say, Ha! Ah, it's all clear now. And the countless millions of them from all over the heavens burst forth in praise, joined by all the other creatures of the universe. And they praise God. They praise the Son revealed. You see, there's an aspect that the angels are still waiting to know, that we know, but that we haven't yet seen. When Christ returns, He will be revealed as the only one to be worshipped. And the angels will see and worship him. I look forward to that day. Let's carry on. Hebrews 1 verse 7. Let's get back to Hebrews. What does that speak about? Of the angels, God says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So what are they? Jesus is the master of the angels. He is the one in charge of the angels. The angels are his ministers. Who's more important? Jesus or the angels? It's important. No? I'll have to tell you a joke now. A traffic officer pulls a car over that's speeding on the highway. And as the window unrolls, he sees this is the Pope driving. And what had happened earlier is the Pope had said to his manservant, Hey, James. I'm driving today. You sit in the back seat. No, oh, you can't do that. Health and safety. You can. I'm embellishing. But the police officer finds the Pope driving. And so he takes his radio and says, just wait a minute, please. And he steps back and he radios to dispatch. Hey, dispatch, I've got a problem. 
I've just pulled over a car and the Pope's driving. I don't know who's in the back seat. <laughs> Do you get the point? Who's more important? The angels or Jesus Christ? You see, it was being swapped around. They were focusing so much on the messengers, they were forgetting the one who sent them. Hebrews 1 verse 8 and 9 is quoting Psalm 45 verses 67. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, righteous, of rightness, of uprightness, sorry, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What's this describing? It's describing Jesus Christ as Lord forever. He is the righteous one. He is the appointed one. Who is there like him, says the writer. And then in Hebrews 1, 10, 11 and 12, quoting Psalm 102, verse 25 to 27, he's describing Jesus as the immutable one. What does that mean? The one who's unchanging. The one who's eternal. The one who's unlike all of creation. You see, everything in creation has a beginning date and a use-by date. Except Jesus Christ. Even the angels have a beginning date and a use-by date when Christ comes again. Because everything's going to change. You and I have a beginning date and a use-by date. Only Christ is the eternal one. And then Hebrews 1.13, that last verse there. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet? What's he speaking about here? He's speaking about Jesus being honored as victor over all. Who's honoring him? God is honoring his son. Do You see, Jesus is far greater than the angel, he says. And I'm proving that to you from your own Old Testament. So what's his main point? You should have got it by now. Angels are important, right? They're not unimportant. But how much greater is Christ than the angels? People listen to the angels, and if they didn't, they were punished, right? So how much greater will the punishment be to those who do not listen to the revealed Son and His Word? Do you get it? So what do we do with this? I want to put three statements to you. you know, under so what? Why would you want anything or anyone else but Jesus to worship and depend on? That's what he's saying to his Hebrew hearers. Why neglect salvation through him and start to depend on other things in life? On myself, on my own abilities, on my on my own finances and even my own success. You see, these Jewish believers were under persecution. Why? Because they'd stepped away from the known faith of the Jews and the Jewish community around them were climbing into them because they are dead to us. They have rejected our teachings. And so the economies were affected. They couldn't get jobs. The guilds, and they consisted of guilds those days who used to work with various trades. The guilds refused to accommodate Christians any longer. And so what do they do for money? They were starting to be affected. And their trust in Christ was starting to be affected. So who would you rather 
trust, Jesus Christ or something else. Secondly, do you want to know what God says? Then my friend, I ask you today, don't Google angels. If you want to know what God says, listen to Jesus in His Word. I've come across someone in this last week, they're wanting to feel closer to God. A lady. And so she said to me, I just Google passages on angels and they've got such beautiful inspirational things there. My friend, don't Google angels. You want to feel closer to God? Come closer to God. Hear what he says through his son in his word. Do you want to know what God does? Then don't ask God to send you an angel to tell you. All you have to do is look in his word and watch Jesus at work. Look in your friend's life who is a believer and in your own life and see Jesus at work. And then you will see God. The problem is, we don't spend enough time with Jesus in his word. That's the big problem. So five minutes here, there, and the sermon a week. Jesus is enough. Just spend time with him to experience that. When you do, Jesus becomes so real to you as if an angel is sitting in front of you. Spend time with him. Why is this important? And here's the third and last point. Why is this important? Because if Jesus isn't at core and real to you in your life, what will you do? You will start to drift. Because idolatry will come in. Other things will take his place. We sing that beautiful hymn we should have done this morning. Make Jesus one first place in my life. That's what he's speaking about here. Don't trust anyone or anything else. Make him core in your life. Otherwise, you will start to drift away. And we'll look at that next time when we come around this passage again. All right? Three things that I've brought you there. I pray that the Lord makes us real to you. Trust Jesus alone. See Jesus at work in his word. Spend time with him so that he becomes as real as an angel to you in your life. Spend time with him. Amen.